Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for joining us today for our third quarter earnings call. This morning, I'm joined by our CEO, Steve Hasker, and our CFO, Mike Eastwood, each of whom will report our results and will take your questions following our presentation. They will also discuss our outlook for the balance of the year. To enable us to get to as many questions as possible, we'd appreciate it if you would limit yourselves to one question each and then one follow-up when we open the phone lines. Throughout today's presentation, when we compare performance period on period, we discuss revenue growth rates before currency, as well as on an organic basis, as we believe this provides the best basis to measure the underlying performance of the business. Today's presentation contains forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties related to the COVID-19 pandemic and other risks discussed in reports and filings that we provide from time to time to our regulatory agencies. You may access these documents on our website or by contacting our Investor Relations Department. Now I'll pass it to CEO Steve Hasker. Thank you, Frank, and thanks to all of you for joining us today. We're very pleased to report our markets and businesses continue to prove resilient in the face of a challenging broader macro environment. Our third quarter results are above our expectations across the group from the top line to the bottom line. Our customers are adapting to a new cadence in this environment, and we continue to adapt and support them in their evolving ways of working. And this part explains our strong performance. In the third quarter, we exceeded each of the revenue guidance metrics we previously provided. Revenues on a consolidated basis, and for the big three, were well above our outlook. Total company recurring revenues and transaction revenues each increased 4% organically. And the, the big three businesses, legal, corporate, and tax and accounting, posted solid organic revenue growth of nearly 5%. Based on our performance for the first nine months of the year, we have increasing confidence as we look to the balance of the year and to 2021. Let me now turn to the results of the third quarter. Reported revenues were up 2%, organic revenues were up 2.5%, and revenues at constant currency were up 3%. Adjusted EBITDA increased 42% to $491 million, reflecting a margin of 34%. Strong revenue growth, the effective implementation of cost savings measures we began at the end of the first quarter in response to COVID-19, and not having incurred one-time costs in Q3, as was the case in the prior year period, all contributed to strong EBITDA growth. This strong performance resulted in adjusted earnings per share of $0.39 cents versus $0.27 cents per share in the third quarter of last year. Turning to the segments, as I mentioned, the big three businesses achieved organic revenue growth of 5%. Legal had a terrific quarter with revenues up 4% before currency and organic revenues up 3%. Legal also achieved its strongest net sales quarter since Q2 2016. And legal recurring revenues, which are 93% of its total revenues, increased 4% organically. Wet Floor Edge continues to drive strong year-to-date sales growth and ended the quarter at a 46% ACV penetration level. We expect to achieve a penetration rate of between 50 and 55% by year end. EDGE has now been adopted by all US federal government courts and 39 state courts. In practical law, our legal solutions offering that provides comprehensive insights and answers to attorneys, how do I, questions, is having another good year with strong sales and double-digit revenue growth. It's the perfect solution for the work-from-home environment. Our government business, which is managed within our legal segment, continues to exceed expectations and grew 9% organically in the third quarter. 
we forecast a similar performance for the fourth quarter. Turning to the corporate's business, organic revenues again grew 5%, driven by organic recurring revenue growth of 5.5. Recurring revenues comprise 86% of the segment's total revenues. And tax and accounting's organic revenues bounced back in the third quarter and were up 10%, benefiting from the pay-per-return filings in the first two weeks of July. You'll recall about $6 million of revenue shifted to the third quarter from the second quarter due to the US federal tax filing deadline being extended to July 15th. Sales were also strong for the quarter following completion of tax season on July 15th. And one additional point to mention, in a recent survey, we found that more than half of those working at small and mid-sized accounting firms are now working in the office a hopeful sign of a return to normalcy. Reuters News organic revenues declined 2% and Global Print organic revenues declined 7%, which was better than the ranges previously provided. Given our year-to-date performance and outlook for the remainder of the year, we're increasing guidance for adjusted EBITDA margin and free cash flow for the full year. We now forecast our consolidated adjusted EBITDA margin will be about 32%, and the big three adjusted EBITDA margin will range between 37 and 38%. And free cash flow is now expected to be about $1.1 billion. We're also slightly increasing our forecast for depreciation and amortization expense and CapEx as a percentage of revenue for the full year, which Mike will speak to. All other guidance metrics we previously provide remain unchanged. We're confident we will continue to effectively manage through the ongoing challenging environment and will build on this performance in 2021. Speaking of building on this performance, it's been more than seven months since I joined the company and many of you have, you, have you been asking what's next. During that period, I've dedicated time to learn about our products, to evaluate our markets and competitive position, to develop a good understanding of our organization structure, sales dynamics, product development and technology architecture and I've also been assessing our talent. I can say with confidence there's no doubt we have strong market positions, our customers love our products, and we're in a solid operating position as evidenced by our year-to-date results. Moreover, our organisation is now approaching an exciting crossroads as we begin the transition from a holding company to an operating company. We view the direction we're headed as a logical progression from, for our organisation as we seek to continually strengthen our businesses elevate our value proposition, enhance the customer experience, and maximize our performance. Let me explain. I continue to be impressed with how strong and resilient our businesses are and how dedicated our people are to serving our customers, particularly over the past seven months. And our performance during that time has only served to reinforce our view that we have tremendous strength. We start in a position, in a strong position and with customer access across the legal, tax and accounting and regulatory ecosystems. And our domain expertise and content is mission critical to our customers' workflows. We're also uniquely positioned to build on our history. We have an opportunity to combine our unique content with world-class AI, machine learning and software to be a leading content-enabled technology company and positioning us to become a true partner and innovator not just a vendor or a cost of doing business. I believe many of our customers would welcome that partnership given our long-term and deep relationships. We also believe increasing regulatory complexity, new competitive entrants and COVID-19-induced structural changes create challenges for our existing customers that will likely expand our addressable markets and drive further growth. Markets are moving in our direction. Those strengths are a solid foundation on which to build. The work we've done over the past seven months has also enabled me to begin to prioritise the areas where I believe we can leverage our strengths and focus our time, talent and investments to capitalise on the fundamental opportunities in front of us. A few examples. We have over 350 products that have been acquired, built, maintained, sold and priced separately, some in slow growth markets. We now have an opportunity to follow a logical path to build a more focused and integrated set of products that incorporate AI, machine learning and software to serve higher growth segments 
where we can delight customers and drive valuable outcomes for them. Second, we still have excessive complexity for a company of our size. We have an opportunity to significantly improve customer experience and net promoter score with knock-on benefits that include greater cross-selling, higher retention and higher revenue growth. Not easy, but certainly achievable. And third, we maintain dozens of distinctly underlying technology architectures which require investment and consume capital. We have an opportunity to create shared technology platforms that support agile product development and a significantly enhanced customer experience. It's abundantly clear to me that we have a game-changing opportunity to transition to a simple, simpler, more integrated, innovative and agile operating company. Now, a few takeaways before I conclude. First, we're building on a very solid foundation. Our plan reflects the logical progression for our organisation that's aimed at further enhancing and optimising an already strong set of businesses. Our markets are stable and growing, and we're not contending with regulatory issues or crippling competitive dynamics. Second, we believe capturing growth opportunities will not require transformational M&A or miracle growth bets. Much of our success will be organically driven where there's substantial runway in our current markets. Organic growth will be supplemented inorganically within our current verticals. And we have significant capacity, which is only expected to increase following the closing of the refinitive LSEG transaction. And third, this transition and our ability to capture greater efficiencies will require rigorous execution. The good news is that it will not require us to reinvent the wheel. Our businesses are healthy and strong, putting us in an enviable position to drive further operating excellence. Furthermore, our company has a strong record of successful execution and achieving targets. In fact, Mike's led many of those successful initiatives over the past few years. Let me assure you that we'll execute with urgency and we'll provide ongoing transparency against a defined set of milestones. I'm confident we'll be successful. Finally, our plan has been built with two primary objectives, driving higher revenue growth and capturing greater efficiencies. Success will be measured by a world-class customer experience, which I'm confident will translate to higher sales, greater retention, more cross-sell and upsell opportunities, and lower costs to serve our customers. The definition of success will be higher organic growth, higher margins, lower capex intensity, and significantly higher free cash flow generation. Success will put us on a path toward achieving the value creation model reflected on this slide, which we previously shared and against which we measure our progress. It's a model we are determined to achieve. We look forward to providing you with more detail regarding our priorities, our execution plans and the financial metrics to track our progress when we report our fourth quarter results in February 2021. Let me now turn it over to Mike. Thank you, Steve, and thanks to all of you for joining us today. As a reminder, I will talk to revenue growth before currency and on an organic basis. Let me start by providing some color on the revenue performance of our big three segments. Revenue growth for the big three left nearly 5%, with organic revenues also up nearly 5% for the quarter, both above the ranges we provided in the second quarter. For the quarter, legal professionals' revenues increased 4%, and organic revenues were up 3%. Recurring organic revenue growth of 4% was partially offset by 4% decline in transaction revenues. This decline was due to a timing delay in our fine law business. And Westfall Edge continues to contribute over 100 basis points to legal's organic growth while continuing to maintain a healthy premium. Our government business had another strong quarter with total revenue growth of 12%, of which 9% was organic growth. In our quick segment, both total revenues and organic revenues were up 5%, driven by our legal and tax solutions. And finally, tax and accounting's total revenues grew 3%, organic revenues up 10%. The difference between total growth of 3% and organic growth of 10% was mainly related to the sale of our government tax business in November 2019. Also, 
tax and accounting's organic revenues were boosted 380 basis points due to the shift in paper return filings to Q3 from Q2 related to the extension of the U.S. federal tax filing deadline to July 15th. Excluding this benefit, organic revenues were still up a healthy 6%. We expect tax and accounting's organic revenues will increase between 5% and 7% in the fourth quarter. Moving to Borders News, revenues declined 1%, with organic revenues down 2%, mainly due to softness in the agency business. This performance was slightly better than we had anticipated due to the conversion of 16 in-person princes to virtual events. As a result, we now anticipate Reuters' full-year revenue to decline between 2% to 4%, and organic revenue to decline between 6% and 8%. And global print revenues declined 7% in the quarter, with organic revenues also down 7%. This performance was at the better end of the range we provided last quarter of minus 7% to minus 15%. We expect full-year global print revenue to decline between 7% and 11 cents. And on a consolidated basis, third quarter revenues grew 3% with organic revenues up 2%. Before turning to profitability, let's look closer at recurring and transaction revenue results for the third quarter. Starting on the left side, total company organic revenue for the third quarter in 2020 was up 2.5% compared to 3.6% growth in the third quarter of 2019. But if we delve deeper and look at the Q3 2020 performance for the big three, you will see organic revenues increase nearly 5%, a strong performance, and in line with the performance in Q3 2019. And as you can see on the top right of the slide, the recurring revenue growth continues to be very encouraging as organic revenues for total company grew 4% and the big three grew 5%, slightly less than last year's third quarter. Turning to the graph in the bottom right of this slide, transaction revenues were up over 600 basis points year over year, mainly due to the paper return timing that was recorded in Q3 and which I previously mentioned. So despite the COVID-19 related disruptions, we continue to remain encouraged by the momentum we carry into the fourth quarter and 2021, especially for recurring revenues, giving us confidence in the trajectory of the business. Turning to our profitability performance in the third quarter, Adjusted EBITDA for the big three segments was $439 million, 22% from the prior year period. And the margin was up 560 basis points, reflecting strong revenue growth. And the cost savings programs implemented late in the first quarter related to COVID-19. Legal professionals adjusted EBITDA margin in the third quarter grew over 600 basis points to 42.8% compared to the prior year period due to higher revenues in COVID-19 related false mitigation efforts. Corporate adjusted EBITDA margin was up 300 basis points to 36.0%, mainly driven by revenue growth. And finally, Tax and accounting's adjusted EBITDA margin increased more than 800 basis points to 28.5%, also due to COVID-19 cost mitigation efforts and the sell of the lower margin momentum business in November of last year. Moving to Reuters News, adjusted EBITDA was 23 million, 7 million more than the prior year period, mainly due to COVID-19 cost mitigation efforts. Global Prince adjusted EBITDA margin for the quarter declined about 120 basis points due to the decline in revenues, 
but remained strong at about 41%. So in aggregate, adjusted EBITDA was $491 million, up 42%, benefiting from revenue growth, cost savings initiatives, and not having incurred one-time costs, as had been the case in the prior year period. This next slide provides a bit more color on the various factors impacting our adjusted EBITDA margin in the third quarter. As you can see, our reported 2020 third quarter adjusted EBITDA margin was 34%. There were several factors in the quarter that contributed to the significant increase over the prior year period. NA activity had a 50 basis point positive impact on margin in the quarter and low revenues related to COVID-19 had a 230 basis point negative impact on margin. However, the savings from the 100 million cost savings initiative we announced in the first quarter led to a 500 basis point benefit, more than offsetting the dilution from the COVID-19 impact. We have now exceeded our 100 million target but anticipate reinvesting the additional savings in the fourth quarter. Therefore, our full year net savings in response to COVID-19 will be approximately 100 million. And lastly, currency negatively impacted margin by about 40 basis points in the quarter. So on an underlying basis, excluding stranded and one-time costs in the prior year, the adjusted EBITDA margin expanded about 400 basis points, which was primarily related to the cost-saving measures as a response to COVID-19. We continue to expect these savings will be permanent. With the completion of our 100 million cost-savings initiative, we believe we're making the necessary investments in the fourth quarter to accelerate organic revenue growth, and margin improvement in 2021. We continue to encourage you to focus on our adjusted EBITDA margin on an annual basis. Overall, we believe we have good visibility into the levers at our disposal to achieve the new adjusted EBITDA margin target of about 32%, Steve mentioned earlier. Now let me turn to our earnings per share and free cash flow performance. Starting with earnings per share, adjusted EPS increased by 12 cents to 39 cents per share during the third quarter. The increase was driven by higher adjusted EBITDA, partially offset by three items. First, an increase in depreciation and amortization, mainly related to acquisitions and asset impairment charges related to office closures in Q3. Second, higher interest expense, largely due to lower interest income, and third, higher income taxes. Finally, currency had a one cent negative impact on adjusted EPS in the quarter. Let me now turn to our free cash flow performance for the first nine months. Our reported free cash flow was $881 million versus a negative 50 million in the prior year period, an improvement of over 900 million. Consistent with previous quarters, this slide removes distorting factors impacting free cash flow performance. Working from the bottom of the page upwards, the refinitive related component of our free cash flow was better by 145 million from the prior year period. 2019 included residual payments for employee costs and tax expenditures related to the operations of our former F&R business. Also, in the first nine months, we made $87 million of payments for separation costs incurred in 2019 related to our transformation program. In the prior year period, we made a pension contribution and other payments totaling $542 million primarily related to the refinitive transactions. So if you adjust for these items, comparable free cash flow from continuing operations was $840 million, 
190 million better than the prior year period. This increase was primarily due to higher EBITDA and lower income taxes, slightly offset by higher capital expenditures. Now, an update on our investment in Refinitiv. The agreement to sell Refinitiv to the London Stock Exchange Group is now expected to close in the first quarter of 2021. Regarding our investment stake, when the proposed deal closes, our expected interest was worth about $8.8 billion pre-tax as of the market close yesterday. And we now expect to incur a tax of about $600 million at closing due to the continued rise in the LSC stock price. I will remind you we have several options available regarding how we will fund the tax payment aside from free cash flow, cash on hand, or drawing under our revolver including some non-core minority investments. Our future equity interest in the LSC will represent a store of value which can be monetized over time. We believe it will provide us with a significant level of financial flexibility in the foreseeable future. As a reminder, after the deal closes, we expect to receive annual dividends from the LSC estimated at $60 million per year based on the LSC's current annual dividend payout. Now let me turn to our outlook for the balance of the year. As Steve mentioned, we are reaffirming our 2020 full-year guidance for consolidated revenue growth and organic revenue growth for the big three, and we are revising four guidance metrics. First, we are increasing our adjusted EBITDA margin guidance to 32% for total TR. We are also increasing our margin guidance for the big three to between 37% and 38%. Second, we are increasing our free cash flow guidance to 1.1 billion for the full year, up from 1 billion to 1.1 billion. Third, Just as we're making additional operating expense investments in Q4, we also plan to make additional CapEx investments. Both are intended to better position us for 2021. CapEx as a percentage of revenue is now forecast to range between 8% and 8.5%. As I said before, we continue to expect CapEx to decline as a percentage of revenue over the next several years beginning in 2021. And fourth, guidance for depreciation and amortization is increasing by 25 million, primarily due to asset impairment charges related to the office closures I previously mentioned. These closures reflect our intention to continue to shrink our global real estate footprint. Finally, we're reaffirming our effective tax rate guidance of between 17% and 19%. Let me now hand it back to Frank. Thanks very much, Mike and Steve. And that concludes our, our formal remarks. So, operator, we'd like to open the call now for questions, please. Lois? Hello. Our first one is from Andrew Steinerman with J.P. Morgan. Thank you. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. Could you hear me? Good morning, Andrew. We can hear you loud and clear. Okay, great. Uh, so for 2020, to have the EBITDA margin guide to be, let's just say, just 32%, the fourth quarter implied guide is below 30%. So I was wondering if you could give us a sense of the level of stepped-up OPEX investments for growth initiatives, and are those specific to fourth quarter? Uh, Yes, Andrew, we will have three categories of OPEX investments in Q3. Uh, As you referenced, there will be a portion that's related to organic growth. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, Within our legal business, uh, our practice law, which supports both our legal professionals and corporate segments, uh, that's led by Elizabeth Bistrom. We are increasing our investments in practical law in Q4. Uh, sticking with legal uh, high Q, which we acquired in July of 2019, will receive incremental investments. Uh, in the government business, which is reported as legal, uh, we'll continue to make investments there, which is led by Steve Rubley. 
uh, within tax and account professionals, uh, the Ambio business led by Charlotte Rushton, uh, continuing to make investments there. And lastly, within the corporate segment, uh, indirect tax with Brian Peccarelli. So a number of organic uh, growth investments, Andrew, in Q4. In addition to those organic product investments, we will also make some investments to improve our end-to-end customer experience. And lastly, Andrew, we're making some investments to drive some efficiency uh, initiatives. So to your point, there is a little amount of investments uh, in Q4 related to OPEX. <clears throat> While on the topic of Q4 investments, we're also making some incremental investments on the capital side in Q4, and those would be correlated uh, to the product investments I rest earlier, so both some capital and OPEX investments on the product organic growth side, Andrew. Okay. Thank you very much. Indeed. Thank you. And our next question is from Tony Kaplan from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, your new sales in legal looked pretty strong this quarter. Hoping you could give a little more color on what you're attributing it to. Is there anything one time in there? And I know you mentioned the government business was strong. Not sure if you're expecting that to continue at that pace. I know you just mentioned that you're investing in it, but that was pretty strong at 9%. And just want to understand how much is price-driven versus cross-selling and how much is taking market share from competitors or mixed, just any color on the sure. legal environment and new sales. Thank you. Yeah, Tony, I'll start and ask Steve to supplement. I'll start in the macro, uh, Tony. Uh, in Q3, we were very pleased that our overall total TR net sales for Q3 actually exceeded our original plan this year. Uh, we did have a shortfall in Q2, but Q3, we actually exceeded the original plan. That's for total TR. Uh, to your point, uh, Tony, legal experience, a very strong Q3 from a revenue uh, and sales perspective. The government business, as you mentioned, was a key contributor, and we expect that to continue to uh, grow at double digit. It was 9% organic in Q3. We'd expect similar performance uh, in Q4. Uh, Tony, Westlaw Edge continued at the same pace in Q3, uh, and actually also in October, the, the Westlaw Edge sales, both from a volume perspective and a price premium perspective, uh, continue um, there. From the standpoint of pricing for total TR, Tony, we completed about 85% of our price actions uh, through Q3 for the full year. We're seeing similar price increases for total TR in 2020 uh, that we experienced uh, in 2019. Yeah, Tony, just to add to that, I think um, we, you know, when COVID hit, uh, we just simplified our playbook and uh, and put an exhaustive focus on our customers. And I think, uh, you know, the, the legal team, as one example, uh, the government team, as another example, have done very good jobs of, of, of focusing on our customers, and they're supported, of course, by some strong products like Westlaw Edge and Practical Law and uh, um, the recent acquisitions in and around our government uh, our government uh, segment. So, you know, kudos to the teams for, for taking that playbook and really um, executing it, and I think that's been reflected in a strong Q3. And Tony, I'll make that the final point as a reminder, Q4 of 2020, similar to prior years, is always our uh, largest quota uh, quarter for any given year. So we're closely monitoring it. October uh, is trending well thus far. Thanks so much. The next question is from Sammy Kassar from Exane. Please go ahead. Good morning, Sammy, and welcome back. Thank you very much, Frank. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I also have a question on the uh, competitive environment uh, with regards to uh, Westlow. Uh, it seems that on the one hand side, we have Fastcase trying to push up market. Uh, we have Lexis Plus and their branding strategy. Uh, to, to what extent do you, do, 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 would you characterize the competitive environment as being similar to what it has always been, or perhaps to be somewhat more intense? Uh, given competitors' movement, please. Yeah, Sammy, I'll start, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm sure Michael add. Um, look, we're, we're very focused on uh, on Westlaw Edge, uh, continuing to innovate around Westlaw Edge, uh, and partnering with our with our customers, big and small, to make sure that those innovations are 
um, uh, solving uh, our customers' issues and, and, and making their lives um, more productive and more efficient. Um, we're more focused on that than we are on, on any of the, the competitive issues. And what I would say is that we, we haven't really seen much change uh, in the market dynamics um, in recent times. Thank you very much. Our next question is from the line of Tim Casey from BMO. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi. I was wondering, could you just uh, break out a little the uh, the investments you're making in the near, ter near term between uh, CapEx and OpEx, you know, what you're trying to drive there? And you mentioned you do expect capital intensity to decline. Maybe you could just flesh out a little bit there, uh, maybe a, you know, by how much or what's going to lead to that kind. Is it going to be revenue growth, I guess, a flat CapEx, or um, do you expect CapEx and absolute dollars to decline? And if so, uh, where would you see that decline? Thanks. Uh, sure, uh, Tim. We will be providing our 2021 full-year guidance uh, in February when we report uh, Q4. As we go into 21, 22, 23, I think the overall capital intensity percentage, capital uh, percent of revenue uh, will decline uh, there. We'll see continued uh, top-line growth um, as part of that. <clears throat> With the recent additions to our leadership team of Kirsty Roth and David Long, uh, we're quite optimistic that our efficiency productivity uh, per dollar invested will continue to uh, improve and scale uh, as we move forward. We are intentionally uh, doing some additional investments in uh, Q4 because we think we have the opportunity to capitalize on some near-term uh, opportunities and also address some recent uh, feedback from our customers. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question is from the line of George Tong from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi. You have. Uh, Ryan on for George. Um, I was just wondering if you guys could discuss monthly transaction revenue trends and see how those are progressing as of November. And uh, I was also wondering if you guys mentioned what the, uh, the kind of legal customers that migrated from Westlot Edgeware as of today, and then uh, for you guys are planning to be with those by the end of 21 years or even 21 if you look that far. Sure. In regards to uh, transactional revenue, it's certainly quite uh, seasonal, and that varies by not only our segments but by our sub-segments uh, within. Uh, transactional revenue continues to be about 10% uh, of our total uh, revenue, and it is a little choppy month-to-month -month or quarter-to-quarter uh, -quarter for us. Uh, in regards to our legal Westlaw edge through 930, we're at 46% penetration from an annual contract value ACV perspective. Uh, as we approach December 31st, we're estimating 50 to 55%. Uh, consistent with my comment to Tony, Q4 is a heavy quoted period for us within our legal business. Uh, so the trend there could be in the 50 to 55% range uh, by year end. Um, we will share an update, uh, Ryan, for 2021 Westlaw Edge penetration uh, in February uh, Q4 earnings call. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Gary Bisbee from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Um, good morning. The, I guess on, if I could ask uh, first on just the Q4 investments, can, can you help us frame out a little more? Should we think that this is really, you know, one-time opportunistic um, because you're ahead of plan and, and, and you've got a pipeline of opportunities you can invest in to help growth in the future? Or, or are some of these, you know, investments that uh, see your time there as, you, as you're fleshing out your strategy, you know, you see areas where you need investment that could persist beyond beyond um, Q4. Thank you. Yeah, Gary, a combination of both. Uh, certainly, uh, we've been focused on it this year. Uh, we set externally our target for $100 million for our, our call savings. Uh, we were optimistic that we could uh, at least hit the $100 million, and with great leadership from throughout our team, uh, we saw trends as we approached early Q3 that we could uh, exceed the $100 million. So we quickly pivoted to the areas that we could accelerate uh, in Q4. Uh, things that we certainly thought we could do in 2021, uh, 
so we are making some intentional pivots, uh, Gary, to accelerate some items that we had slated for early 2021. And our viewpoint is they would benefit our customers and shareholders. So <clears throat> let's move forward uh, with them now. Uh, as we go into 2021, um, are there additional areas that we feel like we'll need to invest in? Uh, definitely, yes. Uh, we're in the process now of sequencing uh, those investments with our leadership team. Gary, just to provide a bit more color to that, um, you know, I think when when we saw COVID uh, hit and, you know, like everyone anticipated, sort of pre- hope for the best and prepared for the worst, Mike was very quick to look at some uh, areas of spend that we didn't think were productive, um, and that was the, the $100 million uh, cost cost target. We, we've well and truly exceeded that uh, as, as we sit here today on November 3, uh, and that's enabled us to, to reinvest. And as we said, some, some of it's one time and some of it leads into a broader um, uh, a broader transformation program. So, you know, as I mentioned, we've got 350 products. We've got dozens of websites, e-commerce sites, document management systems, call centers, um, and they add up a, you know, a customer experience that, that has room for improvement. And so what you'll see us do is start that now, that investment program now, and, uh, and continue it. And we're very confident that, 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 that the end result um, will be a dramatically improved customer experience. Gary, yeah. if, if I could just add just a little bit more color for transparency. Uh, I stated back on August 5 through Q2, we had achieved roughly $70 million worth of the savings target. Through 9.30, we're at roughly $130 million. Uh, Gary, just to give you magnitude, and we'll continue uh, to work on that Q through Q4, uh, which is providing us with the funding capacity to drive these investments in Q4. That, that, that's really helpful. Thanks. If I could uh, just ask one more sort of bigger picture question, you know, while you're still, it sounds like you're still, you know, developing the the, the, the plans here going forward. Three things that have you've said since you you arrived, both of you, in, into your roles changing the customer experience or improving that is important, you know, opportunities to invest in technology for several different outcomes and significantly reducing complexity are sort of three of the key key themes you're, you're working on. How do we think about, at this point, timeline? I mean, is each of the three of those multi-year type process that it will take to get, get where you want to be or, or, you know, or, or one or more of them, you know, areas where you can have meaningful success more quickly. I, I, I realize you'll probably lay out plans for us in the future, but, but any, any color on how we think about how quickly you can achieve uh, real progress on those three key initiatives. Thank you. Yeah, Gary, as you said, those are sort of integral to, the, to, to, the, uh, uh, to our aspirations and to the plans. And, you know, the, the first one's the most important, which is the customer experience. You know, the customers value, value our content uh, and they, they value, in, in a lot of cases, they value our people and the relationships they have with our people, but, but the customer experience isn't as good as it needs to be. So that's, that's really the, the principal area of investment. In terms of timing, you know, Kirsty Roth's been with us um, three months. David Wong's been with us a bit longer than that. And uh, we're, we're working uh, very closely as a team on developing that program. The only thing I'd say about timing is that, you know, we'll have a lot more to say about it uh, in 2021, obviously. Um, we're going to execute with urgency. So uh, we're going to move through it as, as fast as we can. Um, and, and, you know, the, the urgency of the team, I think, is there, and we'll continue to, to work on that. We, we don't want to make uh, any sort of a transformation program longer than it needs to be. Yeah, Gary, I was just adding the three themes that you mentioned, customer experience, tech investments, increasing capacity. Digital really permeates all three and will be a really, really key aspect uh, as we move forward. Um, at the same time, with Brian Peccarelli and the go-to-market leaders, Gary, uh, things like cross-sell, uh, in addition to those areas you mentioned, uh, we're still in the early innings there, Gary. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Kevin McVay from Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you. And realizing it's early, but um, you talked about the transition in the operating company. Any sense of what that means for revenue growth and just margins over time, kind of beyond what you framed already? 
Uh, Kevin, a little bit early yet, uh, so we'll have more detail in February. Uh, I would uh, reference two items, uh, Kevin, that we've talked about in the past with you. Uh, value creation model that we initiated back in December 2018 and Steve referenced again today. We remain committed uh, to that value creation model in the upper left quadrant in regards to organic and inorganic uh, growth um, opportunities there. And then the second point in the December 18 Investor Day, we shared at that time uh, for tax and accounting professional by 2020, 68% organic, uh, corporate 68% and legal 4 to 5. I think those uh, broad ranges that we provided at the December 18 Investor Day are reasonable uh, kind of metrics uh, for you to think about as we uh, move into 2021. Got it. And then just real quick, as you talked about, you know, streamlining the number of products, is that in the core big three or would that be, you know, potential sale of uh, printer, Reuters news? Like would they fall on the 350 or are they outside of that band? Uh, the 350 are in, are in the big three. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Our next question is from Manas. Technique from Barclays, please go ahead. Hi, this is actually uh, Greg calling in. I was just hoping to get an update on Checkpoint Edge and the momentum on the sales there. Uh, sure, uh, Checkpoint Edge uh, launched uh, Q3 of 2019. We're continuing uh, to make progress with it. Not as uh, significant as progress as Westlaw Edge, but it's a key product for us, well-received by our customers. And as we move forward, uh, I think we'll continue to see uh, continued momentum there. It's another product that our uh, engineering team uh, really leveraging uh, AI for us. So uh, pleased with the progress, but we have more opportunity. Our next question is from the line of Drew McReynolds from RBC. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. Good morning. Um, yeah. Maybe for you, Mike, um, in terms of capital returns, sorry, I'm getting a big echo, but I'll continue here. Um, you, you have a cash tax bill that will come the uh, closing of the LSE stake. Uh, maybe can you provide an update on where you stand on share repurchases? And uh, maybe one for you, Steve, on the M&A environment. Uh, can you comment uh, to what extent uh, how it's trended through uh, COVID here for the first seven months and what kind of opportunities you have there? Thank you. Uh, sure. Let me uh, address the first part, uh, Drew. Just in regards to the cash taxes with uh, LCG, we do have multiple options there in regards to the payment. Estimated $600 million. Uh, just to remind everyone, we do have the option to sell a proportional amount of our LSEG shares um, upon closing uh, in Q1 or 2021. So that's an option for us. We also have some other non-core minority investments uh, that we can monetize um, to pay that. And then certainly we have 1.3 billion cash on hand today, uh, Drew, and a significant amount of capacity with our credit facility. So we're very comfortable in managing through all of those cash needs. Drew, in regards to share repurchases, we do not anticipate uh, any additional share buybacks this year. <clears throat> As we go into 2021, we have our January board meeting, so we'll be discussing uh, with our board at that time. And then, Drew, in terms of the M&A, you know, you know, we've done two small acquisitions this year, um, and we're very happy with the progress of those. We've been very focused on ensuring that that they perform um, uh, as, as they should or, or, or even better than our expectations. Um, when COVID hit, we, we certainly saw a, a, a you know, seizing up of, of, of M&A activity across the board. Uh, I think in recent months, um, things have returned. Uh, there is M&A activity um, you know, that, that, that we can point to in and around our big three. We have both a short list and a long list of things within the big three that we're interested in, um, but we're being very rigorous about, uh, about pursuing uh, acquisitions and, and we will continue to be very rigorous. We look at first and foremost, um, will they enhance our customer experience? So is it in our customer's experience? Secondly, uh, we want to uh, acquire acquisitions that reduce our complexity, not increase our, our complexity. And we want to make sure, thirdly, 
that we're, we're an advantaged donor and that uh, from an evaluation standpoint it all adds up. And obviously valuations have stayed high. So uh, we're, we're going to continue to work on that list and refine our thinking, um, but we'll be very rigorous about uh, any acquisitions we pursue. Thank you. Operator, we'll take, we'll take one more question, please. Thank you, and that question is from Aravinda Kalapatiz from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I wanted to uh, touch on the legal segment again, given the strength there. Um, remind us of the, uh, the exposure to the small and often within the division, as well as how that uh, subspace did during the last couple of quarters. Uh, including collections uh, and, and, and as such. Uh, thank you. Uh, sure, and I would start and ask Steve to uh, supplement. In regards to small wall, it's roughly one-third of our total revenue, uh, or then that's led by <coughs> Mark Haddad uh, on Paul Fisher's team there. Uh, certainly back in March, April, uh, there were some uh, choppings uh, in our final business uh, as COVID-19, but we quickly rebounded as we ended uh, Q2, got a very good Q3 uh, with the overall small law firm uh, business. Uh, collections, uh, we identified uh, collections within small law uh, tax and legal as an area of focus. <clears throat> very pleased with the collections that we've heard over the last uh, seven months from all of our customers, including the, the small law uh, legal and tax um, there. So small law overall uh, doing very well. Yeah, just to add to that, Arvinda, I think, you know, as Mike said, we're monitoring this very carefully. Uh, and I would say, uh, so far, so good. You know, and that's illustrated, as Mike said, in the third quarter results. Um, we're going to continue. To, I think we're, we're sort of cautiously optimistic, but we're cautious as to what we'll, we'll see. Uh, I do think in the longer term, the, um, the smaller segment, whether that's in legal tax and accounting or corporates uh, is an opportunity for us, you know, and as we improve that customer experience and make that customer experience more digital, um, we expect to see uh, some, some, some broader upside. But that is a longer-term uh, aim rather than a shorter-term aim for us. Thank you. So that will be our final question, and that will conclude our call. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. As uh, Mike and Steve said, we'll provide you with, with an update. Um, on our 2020 plans and our guidance in February when we report Q4. So until then, take care. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.